Listen to Abe Thompson for an hour. I'd rather fuck a blood relative. Da, 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 da. Ladies and gents, welcome to the solo show. Uh, fresh from this weekend's guested one, on which we had the wonderful Scott Williams uh, waxing lyrical about everything from the uh, Nadim Zahawi tax scandal to what age your dad stops being your hero at. It was it was a pretty fun one, to be honest. It was a bit bit beery, very beery, in fact. A little bit more beery than I was anticipating. I I had a bit of a bit of a thick head. In fact, you know what? Like sometimes it's sometimes it is hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Like when you're on the left of the political spectrum and you live in a three-bed house in the home counties, you sometimes sometimes you get labelled as a champagne socialist and shit. You know, like people say stuff like you, you talk a lot of lefty shit, aid. But what hardship have you ever known? Aid. And let's just focus on that for a minute, shall we? Just for a moment. Like, I I go out in London on a Thursday night. I test my political comedy stand-up stuff in a basement bar, right? After which, I get shit-hammered. Uh, and then, then I wake up on a Friday morning with a hangover, not feeling too smart. Then I host a podcast on Friday night where usually... Again, I have a few beers with whoever the guest is, you know, both on the show and then afterwards while I'm editing and uploading shit and cutting it into little clips and and all that stuff. So anyway, then by Saturday morning, I am on a double hangover doing questionable weekend parenting. (laughs) It is hard for us. It's hard on my kids. Okay, don't tell me politics isn't affecting me and my family. All right. So um, anyway, Friday was fun. And as I say, Beery, and uh, now the hangover has worn off, and here I am, back with you guys for this week's solo show, which normally would be out to Patreons on Wednesday. But I seem to be smashing them out at the beginning of the week uh, for now. I'm sort of, you know, ahead of my time, clearly. Uh, But as I say, normally two shows a week. One is just me, um, and then the other one I'm interviewing someone that I find interesting from the worlds of politics or journalism or academia or comedy. Um, oh yeah, actually, fuck, almost forgot. This episode brought to you in association with Pepsi. The choice of a new generation. The taste of the future. And if you drink Coca-Cola, you're a paedophile. No, wait, no, 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 that is, that is not right. That is not okay. Who approved that for broadcast? See, now this, this is the type of shit you're going to have to listen to made up adverts right unless you motherfuckers help me find an actual sponsor that is the deal (laughs) yes i am the first podcast host to blackmail his own listeners some of you are going to be listening to this like fuck man fuck we better find him some revenue we're gonna have to listen to made up adverts shit is ridiculous yes it is ridiculous i think we should probably stop it (laughs) and what better way to stop then you help me get this shit sponsored properly. Um, by the way, full, full disclosure, I do kind of have one uh, sponsor lined up for the show, um, but we are still working out the details. So uh, in the meantime, find me more sponsors and adverts so I can start dedicating more time to producing this content for you. Uh, otherwise, it's more fake adverts for you. All right. 
fake adverts like the god-awful ones you hear on like LBC, you know? When you're driving around doing the school run or, you know, checking in on James O'Brien and every seven minutes there's another one. And look, look, LBC, I'm sorry. Like, if you're listening to this and you work for LBC, I am sorry. Like, if you if you offered me a once-a-week evening show or something, I would happily take it. I would push my principles to the side. It's fine. Like, I love James O'Brien. I love Sheila Doherty. Or, you know, all that stuff is great. But yes, I find your adverts light-speed annoying. You are not above scrutiny on this. Like, I like some of your stuff, and you come a long way in the last 10 years. Also, some of your programming and commissioning decisions have been abhorrent. <laughs> the Katie Hopkins show. Nigel Farage, you know, probably about 60% of what comes out of Nick Ferrari's noise hole. But I would still take a check from you. I would jump on that gravy train. I absolutely would. So I don't mean to offend. But God, your adverts, man. Bugger me in the Vatican. They're so bad. But they all seem to follow the same tract. Um, I don't know if you've noticed it. If you just maybe you've just been listening to LBC before you jumped on this, because I did say to some people earlier, I was like, yeah, you know, if you're not up to anything after James O'Brien finishes at one o'clock, then, you know, that's when I'm going to go live. And it's possible you might be listening to this and. And you've come straight from an ad break after James O.B. But they all follow the same tract and you will recognize it now as I explain it to you. Do I need to explain it to you? I mean, I've sort of, I've dug myself in too deep now, so I do, I actually need to give you an example. So, like, not all of them, not all of the LBC adverts, but a lot of them, enough of them, seem to have this samey, predictable style or format. Like, like here's what they do, right? They, get, they, they take a thing that everyone can relate to, right? Like, um, I don't know, feeling sad, right? That's, that's quite a common, relatable thing nowadays, isn't it? I think, you know, feeling sad probably has strong fucking polling right now. <laughs> like, in fucking, in January, in the fourth straight Conservative Parliament or whatever. Like, plus it's minus four, we're all broke, there's Brexit, European wars, pandemics, the economy's fucked and there's Coca-Cola swigging pedophiles on every street corner like hashtag buy pepsi so every everyone's sad right everyone can relate to feeling sad and so then that would be how you start your lbc advert it would be like we all feel sad from time to time right that's nice and broad everyone can relate to it but then you drag that relatability thing into something more industry specific right more specific so then you go but sometimes that sadness can be cured with a trip somewhere fun so now we're in somewhere more specific but still relatable right but sometimes that sadness could be cured with a trip somewhere fun you know after the funeral you know like you get product specific then then you you you, you sort of hammer it home exactly what you're selling this is what you should have come out with in the first five seconds but you've got to make it relatable you've got to engage people so then you say that's why here at funny freddy's fucking soft play with we're opening an hour earlier on fridays and 
we're giving a 5% discount to families who come straight from a memorial service over the road at St. Joseph's. Right? That is that is a typical LBC advert. And it would maybe close off with like um like the sound of kids chasing each other and laughing and then one of them would be like <laughs> I d I don't miss grandpa anymore. You know, they would finish like that. You start with something broad and relatable. You highlight the industry-ish, kind of, and then you pitch your actual product. That is the kind of annoying advert you guys are getting until we get some actual sponsors. <laughs> so strap in. Anyway, look, let's, let's actually get on to some content. Boy, let's jump straight in it, shall we? Do I need to go on about the Patreon? I feel like we're in too deep now to... Look, if you if you want to jump on the Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson with an I-N on the end. There you go. I'll I'll read out the benefits and, and stuff towards the end of the show if you've um if you're enjoying it, right? So in the meantime, let's just get into it. So quick look at the headlines today. Uh quick look back on what's been going on in this uh this charmless ensemble cast carry-on movie that is our ruling conservative party like i was thinking how how wild it is how myriad scandalized if that's even the right way to say that like how how multi-textured and all encapsulating the tory scandals are at the moment you know like everywhere you look it's just scandal and integrity bins, lying, corruption, sleaze and stupidity, isn't it? And I know that sounds biased, obviously, but it's kind of inarguable at this point. Like just in the cabinet right now, like let's take a look at some of the names, shall we? Justice Secretary sent out on the rounds over the weekend to defend Nadim Zahawe, right? This is Dominic Raab, Justice Secretary, who himself was being pressured to resign only about four weeks ago for a full in-trays worth of bullying complaints <laughs> from his time as Foreign Secretary and Justice Secretary before. It's like, you know, imagine, put yourself in the position of the journalist that's interviewing him on, what was it, like Saturday morning or, or Friday morning? Like, yeah, but Mr. Rob, do you do you think Mr. Zahawe should offer his resignation? Do, do you? Um, well, uh, well, no, because uh, well, he was just being a bit a bit careless, and he's he's actually a very successful businessman. Okay, all right, but but follow up question, if 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 I if I may, why should a justice minister, who himself is being pushed to resign for his own ministerial conduct. Why should that person's opinion hold any water on whether another minister should have to resign or not? Like, why are you here? <laughs> why is a guy who should have been gone a month ago himself out on the rounds? Like, well, I think the other shamed minister should stay. Well, of course you do. <laughs> I reckon Epstein probably thought Weinstein was all right, you know? <laughs> of course you do. Because if ministers have to start resigning for reasons of integrity or lack thereof, 
You wouldn't even be sat there to answer the question. You'd just be empty chaired, right? We'd be in a causality loop or some shit. Like, do you think Zahawe should resign for reasons of integrity? Uh, yes. And then Rob vanishes like the older brother in the Polaroid in Back to the Future, you know? <laughs> Poof, gone. So that's Rob. Then you had Michael Gove out the other day. Was that a week ago or 10 days ago? He was on the broadcast rounds. Gove was pictured off his nut in a nightclub in Scotland, which good for him. By all means, celebrate. If I was divorcing Sarah Vine, I'd be gurning my tits off, leading a fucking carnival through Whitehall, right? I would be. But as a government minister, you know, is that becoming conduct of a government minister? And then there was the whole, you know, behaving erratically on a breakfast TV interview thing, you know? Like, Gove is shady and snaky as fuck, man. And that's before we even go into, like, his involvement with vote leave and the Brexit referendum. Who else have we got? James Cleverly. James Cleverly is our foreign secretary, right? James Cleverly was in charge of the department that changed the verified conservative Twitter account to fact check UK in the middle of a GE debate. That's his scandal that he's never really been hauled over the coals for. Who else have we got in the great offices of state? Suella Braverman dismissed the concerns of a Holocaust survivor the other day and made no apologies for having used, frankly, Gorbals-esque rhetoric. Like, they're all, they're all just drenched in scandal and stupidity, just hosed down, hard and feathered with cretiny, and then pushed out onto podiums for the country to laugh at. Like, that is how it feels. At least, you know, to those of us still capable of critical thought or something approaching it. And fuck, like, of, of course, it doesn't, it doesn't just stay with the supporting cast, right? You've got prime ministers drenched in scandal. Like, you've got Sunak and his wife's non-dom stuff and both of them applying for green cards while he was still chancellor. And then you've got the more recent allegations of him being out of touch and the seatbelt and the private plane and private doctor. Not like there's just so many scandals and missteps and fuck ups. And of course, you know, how how can we talk about a dearth of political integrity without including the big dog himself? And indeed, his his newest addition to his back catalogue of missteps and scandals which you know i don't know if you caught it over the weekend i'm i'm sure if you're listening to this show having seen tweets and you know me promoting on twitter or whatever suggests that you're on twitter and you're into politics so you probably have done but just in case you haven't it appears that boris johnson may <laughs> have given the job of bbc chairman to his mate who helped him secure an £800,000 loan to fund his lifestyle while in number 10. That is... That appears to be what has happened. Like, yo, uh, could, you, could you give me 
£800,000. Oh, you can't. Oh, co well, here's a cushy roll at the bead, bro. But there's so many scandals engulfing the Tory party and the polls are just deadly to them at the moment. There's, you know, there's projections that they're essentially facing a wipeout at the next general election, right? And so a lot of them think that their best hope is to reinstall Boris Johnson as leader. You know, your fabricants, your dorries, your bring back Boris lot. Like all, all the, the, the guys who, you know, when he announced that he was going to go for the leadership before and suddenly you saw all of these people wearing like bring back Boris t-shirts, hashtag bring back Boris, like all of that lot. They really think that Johnson is the, their best hope for the next election campaign. And more puzzlingly, like, you have people like Mail on Sunday columnist Dan Hodges saying essentially that Labour are worried about Johnson returning. I don't know who, if any of you saw that yesterday. He's like, Labour are worried about a Johnson return, and they should be. I'm just like, yeah, really? You honestly think Labour are worried about Boris coming back? Really? Like, I know there are people who want him back in the driving seat, you know, not, not least of which that IT magnate guy who donated a million pounds to the office of Boris Johnson, right? I mean, he must truly believe that the fucking horny albino yeti's on his way back to number 10, right? That's the only explanation for donating a million quid to the office of Boris Johnson Limited. But why they think that is a fucking mystery to me. Because I'm reading, I'm reading Hodges' headline, right? Dan Hodges' Mail on Sunday. Labour are scared of a Boris return, and they should be. And I'm like, mate, Boris Johnson won an 80-seat majority and proved to be so, so shit at being prime minister. Like, so corrupt, so punch drunk on power that within two years he'd tried to what like disband the standards committee he'd overlooked reports about someone being a sex pest and made him chief whip anyway like there's partygate the second job stuff the like johnson's leadership saw his 80 seat majority reduce again and again at every by-election like his approval rating and poll lead collapsed like, fucking buildings on 9-11. Like, they suffered the worst local elections in decades. Tory strongholds went to Labour. The guy is fucking voter kryptonite. He's a huge voter turnoff. He's like the opposite of Viagra or some shit. <laughs> like, it's, it's like, oh, hey, hey, Labour are scared of a Johnson return. Oh, yeah, mate. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. I'm sure they're quaking in their boots. I'm sure they're terrified. I mean... We laugh at Tory funding and dodgy donations, but honestly, like, if it turned out that Labour were behind that one million pounds going into Johnson's office, right? I, <laughs> I would be like, fair, fair fucking play. That is some strategic country right there. Chess, not checkers. <laughs> Like we would actually be really comfortable with uh, with Boris Johnson going for the leadership <laughs> again and leading you into the next general election. That 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 could work out really well for us. Will, would you take a million pound check from Labour?
I wonder if there is. Is there a law against Labour donating to the Tories? I mean, look, I, I don't think it's impossible that Boris Johnson could become leader of the Conservative Party again. I think that is within the realms of possibility. I think he probably had the numbers before, you know, to get on the ballot when he flew home that time. But I just think he was probably warned that if he went for the leadership then, then he would be found guilty of lying to Parliament and, you know, all, all of that committee business would ruin it for him and he'd, he'd just have to resign again, right? So instead, he has to play the long game. Like, I truly think that's what's happening here. He has to wait for all that shit to just air out. He has to wait for people to get a bit bored of the lying stuff, of Partygate, and, and now this, you know, BBC deal corruption-y stuff. And then once that's all died down, he makes the move, right? Like, everyone, including me, has been wondering... You know, why is he flying to Davos? You know, why is he why is he flying out to Ukraine? You know, does he does he think he's still prime minister or like do they think he's still prime minister? Did they not get the memo? But here it is, right? I figured it out. It all ties in perfectly. He keeps himself high profile. Right. On the front pages like the Times, the Telegraph, Express, the Mail. Right. None of them are covering any Rishi Sunak stories or policies or initiatives or responses to anything today. They are all plastered with pictures of Boris Johnson meeting Vladimir Zelensky. All of them are. And the reason they're doing that is so that in six months, right, or in a year, when it comes to this leadership challenge, when they're ready to strike, if you like, they can then say, look, if we want a statesman, if we want a leader, if we want to be respected on the world stage, ask yourself this, who was out in Ukraine drinking vodka with Zelensky? Yeah, like who, who does Ukraine love? Who was out in Davos driving forward the World Economic Forum agenda? That... That is what they'll say. And then, right, then they'll, they'll contextualise it and they'll say, you know, what, what's Rishi Sunak's globe-trotting geopolitical international credentials? What, you know, what was he doing while Johnson was flying off to Davos and Ukraine? What was he? Oh, yeah, that, that's right. He was catching a private plane from London to Leeds. That is what they'll say. <laughs> that is where this is headed. I promise you. In case you wanted a bit of, you know, futurey prediction, you know, sports almanac kind of shit going on. Two Back to the Future references in one show. Wow. Another thing I read over the weekend was that Boris Johnson is very keen to become prime minister again because he feels he has unfinished business. <laughs> Which I have to say, I love. I am here for the unintentional unself-awareness, right, of him suggesting he has any concern whatsoever with finishing the job with anything. <laughs> it's just on another planet, hilarious. Brexit's not finished. You know, Ukraine ongoing. Lay down in front of bulldozers to stop the third runway. 
you know, are, are you going to lay down in front of the board? No, no, I'm, I'm probably going to fly away on an unnecessary trip to do something else that day. Even though you committed to Yeah, 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 I don't care about that anymore. I saw, I saw a great um, a tweet from Marina Perkis about this the other day. What's up, Marina, if you're listening? She was like, you know, Johnson says he has unfinished business. And that's why he wants to become PM again. And she's like, it's hardly surprising considering what a useless, lazy sack of shit he was like, right? <laughs> the idea that he's going to finish any job that he starts rather than just get distracted and run off hornily chasing after one of his like junior PAs or some shit. This idea that he's like, I, 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 I don't like leaving things unfinished. Oh, okay. All right. Sure. Sure you don't. That is, I mean, that is actually quite refreshing, Boris. I will call your ex-wife now and let her know that you'll be spending more time with your kids. Oh, but, but, I, 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 hold, hold on a moment. Do you think... Right, here's a question for you guys. Do you think Boris Johnson has such a failure to comprehend the concept of finishing the job because the only thing he associates the phrase finishing the job with is the times he's been fired. Like, do you think that's what like? You know, like to you and me, finishing the job is sticking around to complete the project or task or whatever. To Johnson, <laughs> it's like this job is you, you're finished. You have finished it. Just here's a box. Pack up your shit and get the fuck out. Like just the mention of finishing jobs is like, all right, Boris, are you going to finish the job? Don't say, you know, breaks out in hives, stresses that he's been found out for making up quotes again, like he's going to lose his income and get another CCJ or something like That CCJ shit was wild, wasn't it? Do you remember that? Some journalist somewhere whose name has been lost in the ether. Uh Excuse me, quick swig. I say his name's been lost in the ether. You know, really, I'm, what I'm saying is that I haven't re researched his name. I'm sure someone out there knows who it was that found this out. But who, if you're listening to this, uh, I don't know who you are. I, th I think you worked for Private Eye from memory. But whoever it was, you should get a fucking Pulitzer or something. This, like... This journalist had this thought just pop in their head, like, hang on. This guy is chaotic as fuck, this Boris Johnson chap. We all know people like Boris Johnson, just chaotic with money, right? Like they could earn 30K, 100K, or 800K on a loan, <laughs> or a million from speeches in the last couple of months. However much they earn, they're always broke and panicking and complaining to their dinner guests, their own dinner guests, about the cost of the food that night and how they have to pay for it. Just chaotic, right? And so this journalist goes, I wonder if he's got a CCJ. And he looks it up. And boom, there it is, a county court judgment issued to the prime minister and sent to the official residence of 10 Downing Street. Like, can you imagine if that had happened to a Labour PM? All the connotations of being bad with money. You know, well, if Starmer can't even manage his own money, how are we supposed to trust him with the economy? It would be all of that shit. It'd be two weeks of Hodges headlines in the mail. How Starmer's fine shows the Labour leadership are still not ready for government. It would be all that stuff, right? 
And yet, what happened with that CCJ thing? Like, it just went away, didn't it? Just another episode in the box set series of Tories getting into trouble. You know, the sort of trouble that for you and me would be the starting point in a downward spiral towards what? Like fucking debt management and shit credit and hiked interest fees and mortgage rejections. And then you can't get a mortgage because you're, you know, you're not passing the affordability checks and the credit checks and shit. And the next minute you're propelled out into the private rental sector. So now you're just doomed to blow two thirds of your income on rent and be broke forever. And yet in Tory circles, it just goes away. You know? Like, I'd love to get the inside scoop on that one. Like, what what emails were sent? What pressure was applied? Like, how do you just get a CCJ struck out? I think that was the phrase. Like, whose call is it to be able to say that the embarrassment of the British Prime Minister having shit credit is just too much for the country to take. So we just have to strike out this matter. Like, how? whose call is that? Who gets to decide that? Who do we have to send an FOI request to to get an understanding of what boxes need to be ticked for the local authority to go, yeah, no, that is, that is too much. That is embarrassing. But that, that's not who we are. And he, he is all of us. He's Brit, you know? Anyway, I don't know if you guys remember that. It was fishy as fuck. I remember it because there was one line in the reporting of it that made me go, hang on a fucking minute. Like, like it said, um, and don't quote me on this because this, this isn't panorama, okay? And frequent viewers and listeners will know that I have a habit of butchering quotes and, and paraphrasing, but I'm pretty sure it was reported like, like, you know, Johnson CCJ struck out. And then it said number 10 had called the claim, the CCJ itself, vexatious and without merit, right? And number one, I'm like, well, that's not up to you. That's, that's up to whoever the local authority is, surely, right? But then it said, like, the, uh, the district judge decided it wasn't valid, but then that they were unable to provide further details, which is just like, why? Why are you unable to provide further details? Like, this guy was the fucking prime minister, and he's in debt, or has a debt lodged against his name, or, you know? And I think I remember it from back then, that, that in order for the CCJ to be issued, it has to be approved by the local authority first, which must have meant there was something to it, right? But just away it went. And we're not able to provide any further detail. Like, is this a national security risk? Why the fuck are you... <laughs> well, we can issue something, but it's heavily redacted across 98%. Why? On what basis? And I suppose the reason that this sort of thing is, you know, fresh in my mind at the moment is because it's the... Same kind of shit that's happening again with the current crop, the current cabinet, the Conservative Party, the new class, or whatever. You've got Nadim Zahawi this week, 
fucking four million pound tax bill negotiates a penalty, negotiates it with them. And the same shit that would land you or I in prison, probably, you know, he just writes a check, you know, probably sells a horse or two to pay for it and does it after dinner speaking gig and woof, away it goes. Sunak pictured without his seatbelt. Fixed penalty for the second time. He should be ejected from number 10, right? And then they call a general election. But away that will go too. You know, he might pay the fixed penalty, but it's not even about what he's got the fixed penalty for. It's about a culture of a lack of repercussion or whatever, you know? And it's funny because we spend so much time in the UK and the US railing about cancel culture. And a lot of us clap back on it, don't we? We say, no, it's consequence culture. You say something dumb and they cancel your show. That is a consequence of your stupidity, bro. Like, But honestly, just, you know, stop the grandstanding for a minute, right? Just let all the hot air in your lungs just exhale for one moment and just sit with me, right? And explain to me how in the name of all that is holy can you pretend cancel culture is a thing when you, you've got law-breaking prime ministers and chancellors and former prime ministers and the repercussions to their actions start and stop at you know, yeah, just make it go away. Just, just make, just, yeah, shush. Just off it goes. Yeah. Yeah, they, they won't provide any further details. It's, it's fine, you know? <laughs> well, well, you can't do that. The standards committee won't like, well, disband it then. It's fine. It's over. The end. Curtain down. Credits roll. Well, you, you can't get a, a loan for almost a million pounds and pay it back by shoehorning your mate in as the chairman of the BBC. Well, what are you talking about? Yes, of course I can. <laughs> well, you'll be all across all of the newspapers. No, no, I won't. Like they'll just, they'll just run front pages of me in a war zone, looking like a statesman. It's like you, you, you can't lie to the Queen and then pretend to be a royalist over Harry and Meghan. Like the, the papers will eat you alive. You, you'll be branded a hypocrite. No, no, they won't. No, you're right. Absolutely, you, you won't be. There are zero consequences. Like, what, what a life that must be to lead. To just know the chances of you having to resign are almost zero. Like, even now, right? Like, even after Sunak stood outside, like, number 10, saying we're going to, you know, restore honesty, integrity, accountability. Right. That's supposed to be the political period that we're in right now. Honesty, integrity, accountability. Even now, like Suella Braverman is basically like, you know, up there on a podium, like, look, I'm sorry they made your father dig his own grave before they shot him and made his best friend bury the body. I'm sorry that happened. OK, to people like you. But that's the actions, lady. Those are the actions they took. I'm just using the words. All right. Words are not actions. You understand? Like saying, saying, I think you're a disgusting swarm of invading cockroaches is not the same as actually killing five million people. 
All right? It's not the same. Stop conflating my words with other people's actions. Just because they are essentially the same words the Nazis fucking used in the opening chapters of their period of murderous terror. You know, right? Fucking Suella Bravin's taking on some mid-90s gangster rap defences, isn't she? It's like, look, they're just words. It's just words. It's just, I give the people what they want to hear, you know? It is just like mid-90s gangster rap. They just say something hugely volatile. And what, oh, what's the word? Just something that's designed to provoke and incite. And then, you know, somebody listens to it. Someone is emotionally immature and morally bankrupt and traumatized in a myriad ways and got their own issues. And then they, they hear this shit and they pick up an AR-15, you know, and they spray the kids in the neighborhood to wear the wrong colors. And then the rapper's like, well, you know, nothing to do with me. I, <laughs> I, just, I just wrote the words, you know. I just said the words to the highly impressionable and at times certifiable, highly medicated people. Like, it's not my fault. <laughs> that is Braverman, the gangster rap of British politics. I just, I just said the horribly emotive, racially charged dog whistles. How was, how was I supposed to know that it would lead to a guy tossing a Molotov cocktail over the fence of the processing centre? I could never have known. Who could have predicted that? Who could have predicted that emboldening racists with Nazi rhetoric might have resulted in someone throwing a Molotov cocktail over the fucking fence of a processing centre? It's it, these. I'm, I'm surprised we're even connecting these events. They're obviously completely different and wildly unconnected. But again, no repercussions, of course. She's still in her job. There's no talk about Sunak firing her, just... Away it goes. Like, what a life you could lead. <laughs> like, honestly, between, you know, tax avoidance and lying to Parliament and inciting attempted murder and bribery, corruption, misuse of public funds, Russian interference, like, doing... Doing deals with adversarial states, accepting money from Russians like Lubov Chanukin, who's, who's married to Putin's former finance minister and is, I think, the biggest donor to the Conservative Party over the last decade. <laughs> and she's still donating after the sanctions. And then, the, you know, the close relationship between Kwartang and his ex-boss of the hedge fund who made a killing on the mini budget. Like all of it stinks to high heaven and nothing happens. Like, all of these things that would land anyone else in jail. Like, it just makes you wonder, does it? Like, how far are we right now from a cabinet minister getting exposed as a wife-beating drunk driver or something, right? And it just goes away, you know? We're, we're in that neighbourhood, guys. Like, if it turned out that Jeremy Hunt had pushed his wife, like, grabbed her by the face and pushed her into the breakfast bar, like, look, I, it's 3.30 for a coffee now. Like, if he was that, you know, mean spirit, like, if it came out that Hunt was some sort of domestic 
pimp slapping motherfucker behind closed doors <laughs> behind the doors of number 11 like he his wife pushed him too far one day and he just split second slaps her you know if he was pimp slapping his wife shouting stuff like who's king who's king of this castle say it say my name say king jeremy you know and this one time that he's slapping her around there's a cleaner there who overhears it right and she reports it to someone and then it leaks out and the and the papers get wind of it right like what would happen now you think given that he's such an essential component to the stability of the economy and that sunak doesn't want to lose any sort of you know center-right types from his government like the tory party is already full of fucking frothing headbangers he can't afford to lose one more relative moderate he doesn't want to lose him if it came out that Hunt was pimp slapping his wife, what do you think would happen? We already know what would happen, right? And look, I'm not suggesting for a moment that Jeremy Hunt is like that. I don't think there's any suggestion that he is a wife beater, right? He's not really, he's not really like physical looking, is he? He's, he's more, he's more sort of um, shipman kind of, you know, psychopathic lawyer energy, I think. Like, he wouldn't beat his wife to death. He would, he'd poison her. He'd have her cremated against her own wishes so then they couldn't test the blood. Like, that is the, <laughs> that's the vibe that I get from Jeremy Hunt. But if he did beat the shit out of her, we know how that would be handled already, don't we? Like, first, you know, the Telegraph, Express, the Mail, they would all run with stories about something else entirely. They would all just look the other way. Like, today, right? But the former prime minister is accused of bribery, essentially, with the BBC job stuff and the 800 grand loan. And the former chancellor has been accused of tax avoidance to the tune of about four million. And yet neither of those are anywhere on the front pages. There's no like follow on stories or no further questions or Zahaway row deepens or it's some shit about... You know, Britain's something for nothing culture and universities and their ties to China or, or whatever. And Johnson on the front line in Ukraine. So be, it would be distractions and other stories rather than Jeremy Hunt detained or questioned over pimp slappery. You'd have people on the broadcast round saying shit like, I've worked with Jeremy for, uh, for many years and in the cut and thrust of parliamentary life, sometimes emotions run high. It would be shit like that. Or it'd be, you know, Dominic Raab again on the broadcast round saying, look, I've worked with uh, Jeremy a long time. Um, he takes his work very seriously. Um, and then he would say, I can't speak for, or he would say, it's not something I would do, but it's important to respect their privacy. Like they would just dodge and duck it and obfuscate. It would not be taken seriously or in any way that respected victims of domestic violence. It just wouldn't be. That is where we're at now. If, touch wood, it doesn't happen. But if somebody like Jeremy Hunt was questioned for something like that, do you honestly think it would be, <laughs> do you think Sunak would sack him or ask for his resignation? I, I don't know if he would. There would be some other story that would be propelled onto the front pages. The pressure would then thus not be there to demand further answer. I mean, the Mirror and the Guardian would, uh, would apply pressure. But the Mirror and the Guardian are just the Mirror and the Guardian, right? They're not, you know, the Sun, 
the telegraph the mail the express the star like you know it's you know what here's, here's a wild thought for you a lot of people talk shit about the right-wing rags right me me included and how you know working for the sun or the express or whatever might decimate your chances of being thought of as a serious journalist i think that's do you think that's fair to say you know like your, your reputation of being you th how people perceive you as being a serious journalist i think would be impacted if you said yeah i worked at the sun for a couple of years i think maybe i'm being unfair i don't know but truly if you ever wanted to be propelled to a front page story <laughs> before any of your peers from your journalism or english degree right go and work at one of them because i swear to god when there is an actual news story that your political editor probably should be covering you know like the Zahawe tax row like this fucking uh i don't know what's the other? oh yeah the boris johnson um bbc thing rather than them going with that shit they will take your before it's ready culture war non-story <laughs> and put that on the front page before your time. And then, what, you can say that you've had a page one exclusive before you turn 26. Like, hey, uh, Danny, I know you've only been working here for a week and uh, the nuts and bolts of your story is basically that some students go to that uni who are Chinese and that the university has a relationship with a Chinese university. I know it's not really much of a story. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I don't think it's page one material to be honest. Yeah, I know. But if we put your shit on page one, we won't have to draw any attention to this other hugely embarrassing thing for the guy that I go golfing with. Like that is how that shit ends up on page one. I swear to God. Then 4 a.m. the papers are getting printed. It's like exclusive universities links to china like do you think that's why they have such a warped idea of you know like if you put yourself in the shoes of that like young i guess sort of nepotisty journalist right whose story that is not ready that is just you know this fucking universities links to china like all universities link with other universities internationally all universities have international students like what the fuck are you talking about it's such a non-story but if you were like the 23 year old kid who was told to go and look and then it was propelled to page one do you think that's why people like that have such a warped idea of work hard and get on you know I'll, uh, maybe i need to explain it a bit better but like for you and me to work hard and get on would probably mean downsizing to a one-bed flat living in it with your partner and the two kids in a shoebox stinging nettles and rainwater for dinner every night you work two jobs and you do an evening course you know to try to self-improve and better your situation and maybe if you don't have too many holidays you might be able to blag your way onto help to buy in 10 years right that for most people out there is working hard to get on but for these motherfuckers in the right-wing press and in their you know country club circles for them i swear like hard work and get on starts at well my dad said that um yeah if i wash 
and Hoover the Bentley like once a week, he's going to put me forward for an internship at my Uncle Lewis's newspaper, right? It's just, you know, I washed the cars, so therefore I got the internship. Like that is hard work and it helped them to get on, right? And it ends, that's where it starts, and it ends at propelling their shit non-story to a page one world exclusive, right? It's like nepotism and then over-promotion in fifth gear, but that is hard work and getting on for many on the right. So then when they're faced with, as indeed they were this morning, right? I don't know if you saw uh, the male's hysterical front page that wasn't about Nadim and wasn't about the BBC. Their front page was about Britain's something for nothing culture. You know, like this is this idea that millions of people are claiming more in benefits than they pay in tax, right? Which obviously they feed into because they're worried about benefits, scroungers and stuff. They're not worried about Nadim's fucking four million pounds, which could have, you know, fueled the economy or could have supplied nurses or could have improved schools or whatever. It's all about benefits, scroungers rather than tax avoidance for obvious reasons, given that the mail is based offshore and pays fuck all tax. But I digress. Uh, but if if we focus on this sort of Britain's something for nothing culture, right, to me, that indicates a lack of opportunity, a lack of skills training, you know, probably a huge number of people on pensions too, aging population, the labour shortage. These are all complex problems that could probably benefit from, you know, at least a temporary easing on immigration restrictions, right? But if you were a Tory headbanger and you came up that route, you know, internships and propelling your shit non-story to page one before you had earned it or before you were ready for it. Like if you came up that route, but psychologically you felt like you had worked for all of that right? because you cleaned the family car five times and then you're over promoted with shit before you should have been like it if you came up that route if you were that kind of person you might think that these millions of people just need to work hard and get on right it's a weird sort of psychological it's kind of trauma as well like you've been conditioned to think that you worked hard and that's why you're now editor of this right-wing paper like no mate <laughs> I don't know how you solve that problem, by the way. I don't know how you get people like that to climb down, you know, and to accept. God, I sound like such a raging lefty today, but to accept their privilege, to acknowledge that it's actually not just the result of them working hard and getting on. Like, imagine actually having that conversation like, uh, be like, bro, I know, I know you love to tell yourself that you worked hard for all this, for this fucking six-bed country pile and, you know, the offices and your Pierre de Terre and our hamlets or whatever that you stay in four nights a week when you're staying late. I know that you like to tell yourself that you've worked hard for all of this, but let me show you the cold, hard, crushing truth, which is that you were kind of gifted this. And there's people who work a lot harder than you who were never in with a fucking chance of getting it because of how they spoke or because they couldn't afford to do the internship because the train cost too much. Or like, I don't know if you would want to wake up from that. 
Like if your ego and your perception of your own achievement were challenged and you had the choice of like, okay, well, I, I guess I could accept that I'm not actually as, you know, achievement-y and impressive as I thought I was, even though all of fucking sexuality in society tell me that I need to be this sort of achievement machine and that's why women will like me and that's how I get the big house and it like I even though all of that is important and I'm obsessed with it and I think about it every day I have to accept that I'm not actually that important or achievementy god I'm running out of words today but you know what I mean like would you want to wake up from that from that sort of I, I'm really trying not to say matrix style sort of you know delusion but that is kind of what it is Anyway, guys, I should probably wrap it up there. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, that is it for this one. If you're enjoying the show, make sure you subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, uh, or YouTube. Uh, I put out two shows a week, one solo like this one and one with a guest on. Uh, recent guests include Gemma Forte, um, Dane pa Baptiste, who you might have seen on Live at the Apollo, uh, Young Pagoda, Otto English, Super Tansky. There's loads of them. There's, there's like 140 four episodes including this one so uh, uh knock yourselves out go and have a flick through them uh, there is a patreon i mentioned that uh near the beginning of the show it starts at three pounds a month which is just enough for a goddamn coffee according to jeremy hunt and who are we to disagree with him right <laughs> nobody wants to get pimp slapped so yeah three pounds a month is uh where the patreon starts um and uh yeah uh, that's patreon.com forward slash aid thompson and you get the podcast episodes two days early once you sign up to that uh, you get access to the discord channel that's sort of instant messaging like live chat i pop in there every day and we we talk shit about politics and love life the universe dystopia and what else is there there's oh there's an in-person like london meetup we did one in october uh, where i drank too much tequila and felt rather unwell the next day um the next one is probably going to be in march we're just firming that one up at the moment i might push it back to april's uh, april <laughs> april so that more people can uh can make it but also there's live gigs too uh myself super tansky danny fucking price denise headley uh among others uh we're all appearing at this thing called riot society uh on february the 10th in soho it's sold out that one but there will be others probably quite soon afterwards and if you want first look at the tickets for shows like that i put that on uh, the patreon too so there's loads of shit happening you also get named and shamed at the end of shows like this when i say shit like thank you so much to all of the patreons for continuing to support the show uh you guys rock my world really really loving our chats in the uh, in the discord channel and i'm looking forward to meeting uh, those of you uh, that I didn't get to meet at the last, at the October meetup. I'm going to meet you guys at the gig in Soho. So we've got that to look forward to. But uh, just quickly, one by one, thank you to Anthony, Pingu, David, Alex, Chris and Rax, and then Ricardo, Silent, T-Rex, Oliver, Sarah and Kerry. Thanks again. Um, I'll be back this coming Friday at half past seven for the live stream with my guest, Lucy Lucraft. Make sure you catch that. That's live at half seven. Uh, you could jump on the stream, but then it vanishes onto Patreon for two days for the reasons that I've just covered. W weren't you listening? Jesus. Uh, so yeah, it'll be on Patreon for two days after that. So uh, yeah, if you if you if you want to jump on the live stream, 
that would be great we'd love to have you uh, but if you do miss the live stream at half seven you cut you missed your chance then you have to wait two days for it to re-emerge on apple podcasts and spotify uh, until then keep it booge keep it strictly hashtag binfluencer i'm outy Listen to Abe Thompson for an hour. I'd rather fuck a blood relative.